If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to the book of Psalms. We're going to be beginning in Psalm 70 this morning. Psalm 70. It is good to see you and to be with you this morning. We have a very good crowd. want to welcome those who are here with us, who are visiting with us. want to welcome those who are joining us online. Just uh, very thankful and happy to be with you today. I'm gone for one week, and you guys opened this up, and everything looks different. It's the wildest thing. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm excited about... Uh, being back with you. Appreciate Brent for uh, filling in for me uh, last week. Appreciate all of you who have been checking on us and uh, how we're doing. And uh, especially, we've not been able to get up our hill for a couple of days because of the ice. Uh, You guys know that we live at the bottom of a hill. But uh, fortunately, we were able to get out today. I don't know about tomorrow. I guess we'll just see about that. Uh, Psalm 70. I want to begin by reading here Psalm 70 and verse 1. It says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. David sings a song and it is not a lengthy, eloquent meditation on God's goodness It is a short, passionate cry for help. Our theme this year is the idea of letting our soul sing. And we're studying through the book of Psalms, and we're tracing different themes in the Psalms. And the key thought for our year is that the Psalms represent an emotion or a thought or a situation that is so overwhelming and overpowering to the man who is writing it that he must sing. And so these Psalms are not to be viewed just as something to study, but they are to be viewed as the the outcry of an impassioned heart, an overwhelmed heart, a a glorifying God heart, whatever it may be. We're going to trace those psalms through the course of the year, and we're going to look at how we can let our souls sing the way the psalmists do. So last month, we talked about the idea of praising God and how we talk to God and tell him, you are awesome. This month is, is quite different. We're going to talk about the psalms that are just cries for help. And immediately what you will notice as we work through some of these psalms this morning is that these are different than the psalms about God. So the praise psalms feel like they belong in church. The help psalms don't. As we read these things, there are things that we would be shocked to sing a song that sounds like some of these things or to hear someone pray in the way that some of the psalmists pray. And the reason for that is these things are very personal They're very visceral. They have to do with what is happening in the moment on the ground. And sometimes they almost sound like they are irreverent toward God. And I want us to work through some of that and see how you and I can benefit from learning to cry out in our help to God. So what we're going to do is just kind of break down what are some of the typical things that are said in the Psalms that are cries of distress. And the first is this. Most of the Psalms... Well, this guy is not working... Most of the Psalms begin with the statement, something like, I'm in bad shape. This is my way of saying what they all say. I'm in bad shape. Things are not going well for me. So you can see that here in Psalm 70. Just read with me again what we read. Verse 1, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I 
am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So what strikes me first here is that there is no pretense. David is not trying to sound like he's got it all together. He just says, God, hurry and help me. I'm in trouble. I'm in a bad way. He talks about in verse two, there are people who seek his life. Also in verse two, they delight in his hurt. Verse three, they're saying, aha, aha. In other words, they're mocking him and his faith in God. And so he is saying, look at the people who are doing this to me. At the same time, he confesses his own helplessness. Verse five, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. I am poor and needy. Isn't that an odd thing to say? What's David's position? Well, most of the time that we know David, he is King David. Poor and needy is not usually the way you would describe a king. Now, it's possible that this psalm, we don't know when it was written, it's possible that this is written when David is on the run or early in his life where he really does feel like he has no power or ability to help himself. But I also think it's, it's very possible that David is king and he is just admitting he is powerless to stop everything that is opposed against him. I mean, even when you're king, can you ever really stop people who want to see your downfall or who won't stop talking bad about you or mocking you? Can you ever get rid of enemies? Can anyone ever get rid of enemies? In fact, if you're king, don't you seem to have more enemies than when you're not? So David is saying instead, I am helpless to fix this situation. I'm in bad shape. I'm calling on you, God. I need your help. Go with me over to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. We do have a better sense in Psalm 3 of the historical context and what's happening. And that makes it even more powerful to me what David says here. Psalm 3, in the inscription or the title of Psalm 3, it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Psalm 3 verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So David is on the run from Absalom, who has taken over the throne. He has spat on all of David's kindness. He wants him dead. In fact, he is soon to fight him, to try to kill him. A lot of his closest confidants have deserted him. He's in bad shape. And he says in verse 1, how many are my foes? I have got a lot of people. Everybody seems against me right now. Have you ever felt that way? How many are my foes? How many people are going to turn against me in this moment? Verse two, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. So David says, everybody wants my downfall, but they're also in a way accusing God. They're saying God can't help him. And that is where they are wrong. I'll just give you a couple more examples here. Uh, This is Psalm 40. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Okay, so I just want you to drink in what it would be like. What would your life look like if you are singing this? There are more evils than I can count. They have overtaken me. I feel overwhelmed. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. I feel like I'm at the end of the earth and I'm calling to you. And my heart is faint. I'm, I'm suffering here. I'm in bad shape. So what this means is that the psalmists are often very explicit in their songs about their circumstances. They know what's going on. And they are very explicit about what they are feeling. I'm overwhelmed. In fact, we'll talk more about that in a minute, about the ex- specific ways they express that feeling. So what the psalms are teaching us here, and I want us to learn this lesson. We need this. 
is that it is perfectly appropriate to talk about what is going on in our lives to God and to God's people, which is what the Psalms are. They are prayers sometimes to God, and they are also songs sung very often in the assembly of the Jewish people. So, to say I'm in bad shape is not somehow a sign that something has gone terribly wrong or we're not doing what God wants us to do. This is a part of serving God, saying, admitting, acknowledging, this is where I am. For several years, if you would have asked me, how are you doing? I would have, without fail, responded, Great. That was not just being polite. Most of the time, what was going on with me was I did not know how I was doing. I didn't know how my spiritual life was. I didn't really consider what my inner man was like. I was just focused on other things. I think very often we create a culture among us where we are unwilling or unable to just talk about how we are doing. And we need that. The psalmist show us that's a part of who we are. If we pretend that we are never in bad shape or that God is just not interested if we are or that we just need to put on a brave face, then we're going to struggle being like the psalmists in expressing biblically our spirits. Now that's to be distinguished. And I want to be clear. When we say I'm in bad shape, that's different from complaining. You know, complaining happens where we're always in bad shape. Let me tell you what the new thing is that I'm upset about or frustrated about. And so on and on we go. In every circumstance, we always have something to lament and complain about. But that's not what I read in these Psalms. You've read some of them this morning. Is that what it sounds like to you? Are they complaining? No, they are instead honestly assessing their situation and saying, God, I need help. I need you because of what's happening in my life right now. Can't we say that we're in a really difficult moment as a nation? Can't we say that there are moments in our personal lives where we feel overwhelmed or that we feel strongly tempted or that we feel completely inadequate to the tasks that we have? Can't we say that? Can we say that without complaining and just say, I'm in bad shape and if anyone is going to help me, it's got to be my God. And so I need him to know that. Now, that's not a good place to stay, We can't always be in bad shape, but we cannot move out of that state if we can't acknowledge that state. The second thing we see in these Psalms is the idea of I'm trying to do right. Let's go to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. The worldview of the psalmists is that when they ask God for help, it is on the basis of a relationship with God. They are trying to do God's will and their enemies are not. So let's look at that in Psalm 17. Psalm 17 and verse 1, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my, to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the, the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast, held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So he says in verse 1, my cause is a just cause. My prayer, he says in verse 1, is from lips free of deceit. And so he invites God, know my heart. You have tried me. You know what's going on in my heart. You know my path of life. You know that my feet have not slipped. You know I'm trying to be a righteous man. So it's that commitment 
that I'm trying to do right that becomes the basis for the prayer. I need your help because I'm trying to do right and other people are not. And I need you to say, you know what? I'm going to come help the guy that's trying to do right and not the guys that are trying to do wrong. It's just that simple. But I don't know if you have the same impression that I do when I read that. This comes across to me as a little bit self-justifying because after all, doesn't everybody feel like their cause is the just cause? Doesn't everybody feel like they're right and the other person's wrong and that God should be on their team? In fact, sometimes I've known of situations where it was Christians praying to God for help against other Christians who are praying to God for help against other Christians. You know, it's just back and forth. How do we sift through that? Well, I don't think that the tone is that David feels like he's better than everybody else. And so he is saying, God, vindicate my betterness. Haven't you ever had this happen? Haven't you ever had a time where you tried earnestly, honestly, sincerely to do the right thing? And then somebody took it in entirely the wrong way? Somebody had no regard for what you were trying to do? Somebody accused you of having bad motives when you know, you know, I've had bad motives before, but this time I don't. And there is a special kind of outrage that comes when we are sincerely trying to do right and we are treated badly because of it. There is something there that is the fuel for David crying out. David is not saying, you know, I'm always perfect. I always have done everything right. He is saying, I'm trying to do right. And people who are trying to do wrong seem to be winning. And that's not right, God. And if you are a God of justice, why won't you help me? Part of this is also about saying that I'm not Johnny come lately to God's team. I'm not just here because all of a sudden I need something. I'm always trying to do right. And in this situation, I need your help even more than normal because of the way things are going. Drop down to verse 13. Psalm 17, verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from, the, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, we don't have the time to do those verses justice, especially that last verse has quite a debate about it because it sure seems to point toward eternal life. And we just don't have time for that discussion this morning. But what I want you to see in verse 13, he says, deliver my soul from the wicked. Help me. There are people out there whose sole focus is on enlarging themselves. Verse 14, men whose portion is in this life. And he says, don't let those people defeat me. Verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Don't let them win when I'm the kind of person you want me to be. I'm trying to do the right thing. This is Psalm 28, verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. This is Psalm 71. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Do you hear the difference? So you've got people here, the hand of the wicked, unjust and cruel man, and then you've got the author who says, I trust in you and I always have. I'm trying to do right. Desperate situations are a stress test on our relationship with God. They put pressure on us. 
and they say, am I close to God or not? Have I been thinking about him and trusting him like I should? Have I been living like I should? Am I trying to do right? And the point here is that if we want God's help, this is the basis of that request. God, help me because. Now, it may be that as we think through a desperate situation, we begin to realize I have not been living like I should. I haven't been trying to do right. And we realize I've got to do some repenting and some changing and some soul searching. But even in that, we cry out and we say, God, I want to try to do right. Help me and help my case as I try to reorient myself towards you. But perhaps most of all, this is a time where we really search our hearts. Say, what are we wanting? What are we seeking? It means that we don't just care about winning. That, you know, we've got people who are against us and we want to beat them because, I mean, after all, we're us. We deserve to win. It means that sometimes we have to acknowledge that we are against other people because we are jealous or because we want to be vindicated in something that is less than honorable. Sometimes we confuse our views on things like politics or right living or even religion. Our views we confuse with God's will. Those two things are not the same. And to be able to step back and say, you know what, I might be pursuing my views and my thoughts, but am I pursuing God's will? That's the thing that we must soul search about in order to be certain we can say, God, I'm really trying to do right. And there is always a place for a sincere cry for help. Third, the psalmists say, I feel forsaken. Let's go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. This is a psalm that's familiar to us because Jesus cites from it on the cross. But I want to remind you that just because it is cited and it does have some messianic reference doesn't mean that there wasn't a specific meaning when David wrote it for David's life. David is talking about himself and only in a distant way about what's going to happen with Jesus. Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So David is saying, I feel forsaken. He also says in verse 1, why are you so far from saving me? That's very common wording in the Psalms. The idea of being forsaken. God, verse 2, you're not listening. I'm crying and you don't hear. You don't answer me. Verse 11. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. The idea of God having forsaken, and so now there's a distance between us. He's far away. He says, God, come closer. I need you. I need your help. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Don't be far off. Come quickly. He feels forsaken. He feels like God is not there. He's not listening. He doesn't care. He's given up on me. Now, let me emphasize, that is not actually true of God, is it? God had not forsaken David. There were times when he forsook his people. There are times when God is distant from his people. But that's not the explanation here. And very rarely is that the explanation. The point is not about where God is or is not. The point is David feels forsaken. And he is letting his soul sing, God, where are you? I need you. It feels like you're nowhere. And I need you in this moment. But when you start to add it all up, 
it really creates some confusion, especially think about what we've been saying here. Hey, God, I'm in bad shape. I'm trying to do right. And you're nowhere. I'm trying to be on your team and you are not there for me. So verse seven, Psalm 22 and verse seven, he says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. You can hear the confusion. You got all these evil people mocking and they're mocking specifically his trust in the Lord. Some good God is doing him. Let God come deliver him. You know that that's the same words people say about Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. But the idea is, if God is with him, if God is on our team, if I'm trying to do right, why do I feel the way I feel? And so the psalmists sing out their feeling of forsakenness. Let's go over to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. Sometimes there is confusion in this that comes because we know about what God has done in the past. And then we look at the present and we say, this would be the perfect opportunity for God to act again. Psalm 44 and verse 1. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. These are the stories of Israel's formation. And it's the stories of the exodus and the story of the conquest. And they say, we've heard for a long time. These stories have been circulated about how good God is to his people. And then in verse 7, he says, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. He says, you've done that for us too. But, but what about now? Verse 9, Psalm 44, verse 9. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sound of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and have covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, we haven't forgotten you. You've forgotten us. We haven't forsaken you. You have forsaken us. And you can hear the desperate confusion in the tone of the psalmist here. These are the kinds of psalms that if someone were to pray like this, we would say, "Uh, is he okay? These are the kinds of psalms that don't feel like they belong in church. Because they are psalms that sound like they're accusing God. But they are expressing and what I think we take from them is that they are expressing that deep feeling of God having forsaken us. That's how we feel. We know that's not the reality, but that's how we feel. 
And there is a place for crying out and telling God exactly how we feel. I hope that on some level we have experienced emotions like these. I hope that we can say, you know, there have been moments in our lives where we we look at what God has done in the past and we look at what God has done in scripture and we look at even what God has done in our own lives and then we look at a present situation and we say, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up to me. And so we need God in a special and pressing way. We need God in some relationship in our lives or we need God in some financial circumstance or we need God to move the levers of power in some way to benefit us or to help us out and, and there's nothing. And we pray and we pray and we pray and there is nothing. And how do we feel when that happens? I know that we might tell ourselves, you know, there are reasons God would tell me no and God's got other things, but, but how do we feel? Honestly, we feel like God's not listening. We feel like God has forsaken us. And so we cry out, instead of giving up on God, instead of saying, I'm gonna walk away from faith, we cry out, God, help me. I feel like you have forsaken me. It's enough to make a soul sing. The last thing I want to say is that this kind of psalm then sings out, I need you. Look at verse 23. We're open to Psalm 44. Verse 23, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Wake up, don't hide your face. Don't forget about what we're suffering. Look at us, watch. Sometimes the psalmist will say, incline your ear, which is the idea of bending down to listen. God, hear us, pay attention. Don't sleep on us. We're waiting for you. Sometimes it's God, help now, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. By the way, that's David singing about his son, You're going to help me. I need you now. Save me. Psalm 17 and verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. The shadow of the wings, a safe place, a secure place. Protect me. Watch over me. Keep me as the apple of your eye, which emphasizes that you're always seeing exactly who I am. I am dear to you. Your eye is on me. Go with me over to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. Drew was a really good sport and uh, led us in the song that comes from this psalm. Uh, He was a good sport and did a great job. And uh, I love that song. Uh, I appreciate him doing that. Psalm 61 gives us the, the basis for that song, The Rock That's Higher Than I. Psalm 61 and verse one. Hear me, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. So remember, we we read this earlier. I cry to you from the ends of the earth, verse two, where my heart is faint. Listen, help, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. After his years of wandering on the run from Saul, David often lived in the, the refuge or the strongholds and the rock. And he seems to think of the rock as a place where he can be safe. Think about it. If you're constantly on the run and you're out in the open, you can't ever let your guard down. You can't ever be at ease or at peace. 
But when you finally find that, that secret cave deep in the, in the rock, or the rock that's higher than I, way up high, where you can see if anybody is coming, you can finally kind of just <sighs> exhale. And David says, that's what God is to me. He is my rock. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. A refuge. Do you ever feel like you need a refuge? A place where you can just be protected and safe. That's what the psalmists say. God, this is what I need. Help me, rescue me, save me, guard me, protect me. And so we let our souls sing. We say, God, I'm in bad shape. I'm distressed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm trying to do the right thing. But there is evil all around me. There are people who are trying to take me down. Or there are people who would love to see, would relish my downfall. I'm trying to do right. They're trying to do evil. Or we sing, this is how I feel, God. I feel forsaken. Where are you? I believe in you. I trust you. I'm trying to live for you but you're not answering in my moment of need. Or we just sing, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I need relief and I need direction and I need peace and I need forgiveness. I need refuge. I need a new perspective. I need you in this moment. And so we cry, help. Here's the problem with a lesson like this. I know for a fact that there are people in this room right now who feel exactly this way. But it's not all of us. I also know that there are people in this room right now who are saying, ah, it's not really me right now. But we will be there. And we have been there. Because we don't get to choose what circumstances we live in. And we don't get to choose all the things that happen to us. It seems to me that we need a deep connection in those moments to God. And what I most want to say about these psalms and what they teach me is that we have to learn, we have to train ourselves to take these thoughts and feelings to God. That is not our tendency. Our tendency is to take these thoughts and feelings everywhere else. That is, when we have a problem when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel opposed, we try to take matters into our own hands. And we say, you know what? I'll find the solutions. I'll take care of the problem. Sometimes we will go and seek out Professor Google. And we will look up everything we can find from all the experts that we can find about what our situation really needs. Sometimes we will ask lots and lots of people, read the books of experts, Sometimes what we do is is instead of actually proactively treating the problem, we just get mad and slowly grow bitter and harder. We end up a crotchety, complaining people. Sometimes what we do is just decide, well, I guess God's not real. He's not helping me right now. And we begin to doubt. We may even give up trying to do right, concluding that, you know, this is just too hard. Yet because we have been taught and trained to keep all of this internal 
and not express it in any way to anyone. Sometimes we just suffer in silence. What we need is a reflexive desire to take our problems and our emotions to God. And we need to be free to do that among our brethren or by ourselves. That is, to be able to say any of these things is perfectly normal and appropriate and that the expression of them is also appropriate. And sometimes we will find among our brethren good advice, comfort, encouragement from each other. I want to remind you that God is there for you in times of financial distress, in times of family problems, in times of discouragement and frustration, at times when you realize you have made a mess of your life and you have been in sin and you need to come out. Maybe you don't even realize how far you've drifted from who you should be. He is there for you. And it may be that God doesn't answer in just the ways that we think he should. And yet we can learn to trust in the presence and the power of God, even in those hard times. And sometimes we need to remember just how helpless we are to fix everything. That we can't really change the direction of our country. And we can't really change the hearts and minds of people, even the people we love the most. That what we can do is really limited. I am poor and needy, but we serve a God who can do all things. And so we cry out to him for help. We take it to God because he can handle our feelings and because he can help. Would you pray with me about that? Oh God, our Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've been able to spend together. We're thankful for the Psalms and for what they teach us and the new perspective they open up for us. Father, I know that we have our brothers and sisters who are assembled with us this morning who are tuned in by other media this morning, who are suffering and in need. And Father, I ask for your help and your mercy for them. Father, I pray that you will be with each one of them. Help us as brothers and sisters to reach out and encourage and give strength to them and help in whatever way we can. But Father, where our hands are tied and our powers are limited, yours are not. And so we pray for your help and your intervention. Father, I pray that you will help us as your people to grow more comfortable with expressing the the thoughts of our spirits and hearts, that we will be encouraged by what we read here, that you can handle us and you can handle our emotions. And Father, help us to learn how to be open with one another about what we're thinking, feeling, and going through. Father, I pray that you will bless your people to encourage us to be a people who cry out to you at all times. Father, I pray for these things that I have mentioned. Uh, I pray for our country and the direction of our country. I pray for our leaders. Father, I pray that you'll continue to watch over your people, both in this country and all over the world, that you'll allow us the opportunity to have governments that will let us live a quiet and peaceable life. Father, I pray for those of us who are parents, who sometimes feel overwhelmed by the burdens that we carry and by the responsibilities that you've laid on us. I pray that you'll help us to have wisdom and to have the courage to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, there are so many burdens, so many struggles that each one of us has. You know them all, and I pray that you will help us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the Lord.
and there is a, a personal way that these thoughts have touched you or that the things you've been thinking about in your life have touched you and you've decided it's a time for you to make things right with God. Whether you've never become a Christian and you want to be baptized into Christ, we'd love to help you with that. This is a great time, an opportunity to do that. Or if there is something that you want to make known to this group of people that we can pray with you about and help you with, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.